All right. Thanks for joining us tonight, folks. Uh, once again, uh, I'm Steve. Uh, you see Anthony up there. And our special guest tonight is James Liu from the Turtle Conservancy. Um, James uh, is, a, is a doctor of veterinary medicine, and he also has a love for uh, video production as well. Um, so James fills uh, uh, some uh, a variety of roles in conservation for the Turtle Conservancy and in his uh, personal life as well. Um, so James, uh, the first thing I guess we wanted to get started with tonight is just um, how did you get interested in reptiles and, and turtles and maybe even more specifically uh, veterinary medicine? Um, first of all, hello, people of the podcast. Um, I think it's like a lot of people who are interested in wildlife, especially reptiles, amphibians. You grow up somewhere that has access to a stream or to a pond, a lake, and you just kind of gravitate towards it as a kid. And you go out. I was lucky enough to have some really good parents. I grew up in the Bay Area, California, and there's only one species of turtle there, the western pond turtle. But being an outdoors kid, always going on hikes, always being in national parks, being right up against the redwoods and finding salamanders all the time, kind of paired perfectly with like being a 90s millennial of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles were on the rise. Um, I think just kind of being into weird, creepy, crawly things was kind of like, kind of cool back then. No one had cell phones, so it was kind of a way to be different. And that it was just a perfect marriage and kind of blossomed into this childhood love of animals that just never died. I think that's, I mean, all my friends growing up, we all caught frogs and lizards and stuff. And just with some people, it kind of transitions into other things and some weirdos, it just sticks with you the rest of your life. So uh, growing up in the Bay Area, I guess that explains your love of the warriors. Yes, probably the only thing that will take me away from any turtle or reptile related endeavor is like a Warriors playoff game or a good matchup on national TV or something. Oh, yeah, no, I'm when the Warriors play now that I moved to the East Coast, I basically have to go to sleep at 2 a.m. every single night because the games here end so late. I don't know how you guys do it. So is, is basketball your favorite sport or are you also like an A's or Giants fan or the Raiders or the Niners or something? <laughs> I mean, I guess it's kind of like how reptiles are like my alternative lifestyle to a lot of my uh, family and friends growing up. Um, I grew up in a Niners household and I thought I'd be different and I started rooting for the Raiders and it was been miserable until this year. Oh, <laughs> this year is such great redemption. <laughs> Uh, but I should add, the other thing that really drove my love and interest in turtles especially was I think like a lot of five-year-old kids, I really wanted a dog, bugged my parents for a dog. And my mom, my mom was born and raised from Texas and she grew up with Texas tortoises and horned, oh, cool. horned box turtles. And her brothers were really into, they had horned lizards, iguanas. So she just took me to the library one day and said, you know, I remember having turtles and back then it was like, you know, the dark ages when they fed them raw ground beef and beef heart and little <laughs> dried flies. 
And she's like, but there, she's like, they just lived in the yard and they caught their own bugs, ate their own food, and they're really easy pets for kids uh, as a first pet. And I think that was kind of her understanding of it. So she's like, oh, go to the library, read every book you can about turtles. And if you seem like you know what you're talking about, we can go get a pet turtle. And that really just backfired in her face because I ended up reading every single book at my library about turtles, putting in requests to every other library within the county system, reading all those books, writing every book report in elementary school on turtles. <laughs> every family trip was about turtles, called every pet store in the Yellow Pages about turtles, called every herp department in the zoos about turtles, just to learn more and more. And I found reptile clubs back then that, you know, older people who showed me how to take care of them properly. You know, they're, they're a little bit more difficult than I think people realize. And unless you have a kid that's really obsessed or you have parents who really know what they're doing, like there is a lot of education that's necessary. James, but, are, there, are there any species that um, you, like specifically in your story when you were kind of coming up that you kind of started with first and then maybe some that kind yeah. of represented like a move to something more rare or more special or, or something like that? Yeah, so my first two turtles were actually a very unusual kind of first turtle is I knew that I wanted either a box turtle, a spotted turtle, or a wood turtle. And I called my local pet store and they had what they said was two wood turtles. So I was like, perfect. Going to go over there, beg my parents, work, you know, did a bunch of chores. They said, okay, you can get these two wood turtles. They said it was uh, um, basically two juvenile wood turtles. But when I showed up, there were these turtles that I had never seen before and I'd only, or I never really knew, I didn't know much about, but I'd seen pictures of them. And there are two Central American wood turtles, the rhino clemmies, Pulcreva, uh, Mani. And they just have that blue eye with the black line going through it. These really like almost painted on colors on their shell of red and yellow chevrons. And that blew my mind. And I, my parents not knowing what they were, they're just turtles to them. I was like, technically they're wood turtles. So I was like, so let's get them anyway. And those are my <laughs> turtles. And my dad and I had a lot of fun going to Home Depot and building these really elaborate outdoor pens for them. And we built ponds and things for them. And they were, I mean, they ended up being great turtles. Um, but unfortunately, one succumbed to uh, a raccoon. And that's, that was probably, that was probably, I used to cry a lot as a kid, but that was, that was one of the worst days. <laughs> Because you're a Warriors fan. Yeah. Oh, low yeah. Sorry. I'm sorry. No, I cried a lot. When, I cried a lot when I was a kid with the Warriors games. Trust me. <laughs> 20 years of losing will do that to you. But then you become emotionally numb, and then nothing can hurt you. <laughs> How about that's you? What, that's Wait, what rooting for the Raiders has done to you, too, I'm sure. Oh. Okay. So, so rate these two experiences. Don't get me started on the Patriots. What what's your what mattered more to you um, the the Warriors winning the NBA championship the first time you hatched a turtle egg or the time that the Warriors beat the Mavericks as an eight seed over a one seed? Well, I was at that I was at that clinching game, game six. I no way. I had a midterm in college for that game during that game, 
And I told my friend, I was like, I'm just going to take the zero and drop the class. Because I was in LA and I was just like, I have to be at this game. And I just got in my friend's car, never told my parents this. And I just drove straight to Oakland. We got like burgers and like, uh, we just ate it in his car, like took a nap and then went right into, into the game. And it was best decision I ever made. But um, in terms of, it's different with sports. There's just like this pure like elation. It's just like a release of emotions. Uh, winning is like very euphoric, but with turtles, everything, like when I first saw one of my turtles lay eggs and then when I saw the eggs hatch, it's, it is, there's some obviously joy and happiness knowing that you're, you had that level of understanding to accomplish these things. But it's also just that fascination. When I first saw it, I was just like, because a picture can only tell you so much or text can only tell you so much. When you actually see it and you can appreciate that moment, I think it reaffirms like, oh, I'm doing what I really like. And totally, I am doing something that you think, you hope is fairly unique, but also just kind of edu- just educational. It informs your life and informs what you want to do moving forward. But yeah. That's that's how I feel. It's a different. They're they're two different, very different things. Plus, with when the Warriors won the championship, I could brag to everyone. When I hatch turtles, I don't go around bragging to people. <laughs> most people wouldn't. <laughs> at least the general population, most people yeah. wouldn't uh, quite connect with that one as well. I the only one that I know that does that is Aaron. <laughs> the only one that I know that brags on that, <laughs> brags on that level. I do that. I do that, and people just. Hey, good for you, man. Do what makes you happy, bro. All the texts I get from Jared of all the things that he's like, I'm like, I used to be jealous, and now I just tell him, I have to pretend I'm not jealous, and I just tell him that that's the ugliest turtle I've ever seen, or who would want that? You should give that, you should just let that go in your local pond. You should just throw that in your freezer. The no one, that should, that's a disgrace to. You know, slap in the face of God, those albino abominations. I agree. Yeah. <clears throat> but but, but wait, wait, no, no, no. What, what, what were your guys' first turtles? Because I'm always interested. East Coasters always have such a different story because you guys can you go out. Eastern like, Painted Turtle. Yeah. Because you guys. They're, they're so gorgeous. They're, yeah. They're common, but they're gorgeous. They're, they're curious, generally. Um. Like even like even if you come across them in the wild in a pond, you know sliders. You spook them, they dive back in. You don't see them for like ever, right? Painted turtles, though, you spook them, and you they jump into the water from the basking spot, but their heads are instantly back out of the water, looking at whatever it was that might have startled them. Yeah. So they jump in, and then their head is looking right at you. you so you know, I just love their curiosity. Are you from Pennsylvania originally? Yeah, I, I, was, um, I was actually born here in Lancaster County uh, when I was four and a half. We moved up to Allentown, the Lehigh Valley, so I was raised there. And then, um, uh, shoot, about uh, a little more than eight years ago, I uh, moved back down here to Lancaster County. Oh, cool. What you same, same species for me, uh, Eastern Painteds. I was about five years old, and my aunt, who was, you know, a very mature adult in my eyes, but was really like, 
19 years old took me to catch turtles when she would babysit me and i just thought that was like a normal thing that people did with their family members um it was just because we were broke and had like nothing better to do and that we could afford anyway so we would like take them home and put them in like a big salad bowl with gravel and water and think that that was like okay but um it was it was important to me and she ended up dying in a car accident i don't mean to get too too glum here but so i think my my fascination obsession um with turtles is probably has a little bit of like a ptsd thing to it where um i don't know maybe i look back to like nicer days or something like that when i was a kid something like that i was just uh kind of you jogged this memory that i had for totally forgotten is almost the exact opposite of your experience i remember dragging babysitters because i was just like a I was a, a really annoying kid. <laughs> and I remember like dragging babysitters through creeks to look for toads and look for turtles. And they like, you know, they were just like, had never stepped foot in a creek. And they were so terrified of me getting bit by a snake or, you know, th they just had their minds blown. And they were just, I would stand on the like far edge of the trail and I'd be running through. <laughs> they'd be trying to find me and they'd be like um yeah they did not like it <laughs> <laughs> it's above their pay grade yeah yeah probably yeah in hindsight i, I was like yeah they're probably just like this kid's not even worth it not even related to this kid so did you have an, a new babysitter every time your parents needed to go out <laughs> no I just, I just had one very nice babysitter who put up with a lot oh my god i was demon child <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was like the type of kid that if you lost if I lost at a board game throw the board game over I'm not cleaning it up and then I just run into the, like the woods or something <laughs> yeah so so this weird demon child that likes turtles will never amount to anything that's what they used to say yeah. oh, <laughs> yeah. I have so many babysitters I bet were just like I wish I had an iPad back then and just put it on the Turtle Room website and just gave it to them and <laughs> the priceless. Just keep them calm. Put them on the classifieds. Let them dream. Yeah, exactly. <clears throat> I mean, heck, we still look at the classifieds and dream. <laughs> I mean, I don't know about you guys, but being in the Turtle Conservancy, we have the archives of old priceless from Bushmaster and Strictly Reptiles and some of the old turtle people, even like Glade Serps and stuff. Some of the stuff that just, as a turtle person, is just kind of interesting. But as a conservationist, it just like really shows you how far the, or how little we people like thought to look into the future when they are importing yeah. animals and these mass quantities. No doubt. Yeah, because it's just how is it sustainable to bring in hundreds of you know quora like asian box turtles for ten dollars a piece it's not it's just like oh man that is not a sustainable model right no it's doubt a species. you know and i i think this is a great uh tr natural transition into one of these other um other kind of questions that amanda had prepared uh, for tonight's episode um you know <clears throat> when we talk about the you know these animals that you know, we obviously didn't see enough into the future to, you know, 
think about it 20, 30, 40 years ago when people were starting to, you know, kind of take these things out of the wild and sell them for what we look at now is dirt cheap. Um, about a year and a half ago when the uh, Palawan turtle crisis broke, um, <clears throat> partly because you're a vet, partly because of your affiliation with Turtle Conservancy, et cetera, you ended up in Palawan um, helping uh, work with this turtle crisis. Um, so, you know, can you kind of um, talk about uh, some of that experience? Um, and, you know, I think that connects into, you know, what your life uh, as a vet is like and some of the things you, that uh, you end up um, experiencing coming across as a wildlife vet. Yeah, so I think the thing to know is that I had graduated veterinary school a couple weeks before that and been hired by the Turtle Conservancy to work for them when this whole thing broke out and literally it was an email, I think like on a, like a Friday or Saturday. Yeah, it was, it was on my birthday, June 19th. I don't remember which day it was. I think it was a, it's a Wednesday. That was a Wednesday, but we didn't get the email to like, like oh, okay. Friday or something, you know, and sorting it. it all out. And I just remember all of a sudden Paul Gibbons, Dr. Paul Gibbons, who's uh, the director, he, and I both had plane tickets to go to the Philippines and work on this project to basically sort out the health of all these animals. And because I have, I grew up taking a lot of photos of wildlife and that in grad school and vet school that slowly transitioned to doing a lot of video work. I did it first, my school, I did it for, for fun, some small contracted projects. I did one for blue moon beer once. So um, I got a couple six packs out of that. <laughs> um, and but so then I, because i had this video background eric good our founder said james take a camera with you and document what's going on out there as well because people need to see the scale you know sometimes photos and not everyone opens a newsletter from the tsa or the turtle conservancy explaining yeah. all the details so we need to put out this story in as many forms as we can. So I flew out there and first thing when you hit the ground, you just realize like first how poor a lot of these people are. I think a lot of people in the Philippines are living like less than $5 a day, you know, $2 a day basically. And then you just realize like the sheer quantity, the, the, Phil, the Palawan forest turtle was this animal by all expert accounts, before that day, June 19th, 2015, they thought the total population was about 3,000 individuals. Yep. And in comes this, they walk into this warehouse where there's 4,000 of these critically endangered turtles. And they're critically endangered because they just occur on that one island of Palawan and nowhere else in the world. And they still have decent habitat, but it was always this idea, like, you know, there's gonna, if there's a tsunami or a hurricane or an earthquake, you could lose so much of that population. And no one thought one basically dealer, animal dealer from China would come in and create this network of smuggling like poachers and smugglers and just 
collect every single one. Like we thought, yeah, you could do, you could wipe out maybe one pocket or population. But what they had done that made this so unique is they, like polar one's really known for its biodiversity, really unique species. But, and for a long time, since it's an island, the easiest way was to get the animals onto like they'd ask villagers basically to go out and hunt these animals collect them the chinese nationals would go village to village and be like and so all the whole town would basically show their catch weigh it out they pay them they come back to the port towns and they do it a lot on dirt bike to smuggle the more the rare animals so that they wouldn't get stopped as much not so they're not having these big trucks but then slowly they kept getting stopped and then some poacher realized, you know, we're on an island. It's easier if we just shuttle them out to the coast, get these little pump boats, and pump, you know, take the boat all the long way around back to the uh, the main town, Puerto Princesa, and store them in these warehouses. And that's how all these animals basically got from the mountains of northern Palawan down to the southern area, like without anyone realizing it. And the only thing that tipped people off was the neighbor of the guys at this warehouse was like, something's like not right. This guy is, is hoarding all these animals. It like smells weird. Like it's all boarded up. Like it's something's going on. And Palawan, thankfully, is probably the most progressive island in the Philippines. They have a essentially like a, a hotline that, that people can text anonymously and wow. people off on any animal or wildlife or flora or fauna illegal activities. And so the government officials got this tip, went in, busted them, and cleared out 4,000 animals. And then kind of the rest was just, how do we deal with it? And the people that everyone should kind of tip their hats to is uh, the Katala Foundation out there and this woman Sabine and she basically spearheaded this entire program galvanized the entire entire international turtle community which is something that had never been done before that's what was to me that what ended up being kind of the main focus of the story for our documentary is just the international collaboration like there'd never been one singular event that threatened an entire species that everyone could drop politics you know like you know maybe one organization doesn't get along with another or maybe mm. one vet doesn't get along with another vet or zoo or something but everyone just drops put politics aside as like when do you go save this animal and that was kind of another silver line that came out of this story besides being able to rescue these animals and uh, everyone did an amazing job. There's a lot of crazy triaging that we needed to do and a lot of issues with husbandry and illnesses, a lot of infections, a lot of fighting, a lot of females that had eggs that needed, you know, that were struggling to find places to nest. And, but you know, lo and behold, everyone got together donated supplies, donated medication, donated time, people, and they had a pretty phenomenal, 
I'd have to go double check the numbers, but it was it was like in the upper eighties of survival and release. And that's amazing considering this species is is very poorly known. I mean, this is not like you know, it was a bunch of red ear sliders or painted turtles that so many people have so much experience with. Yeah. These really poorly known animals that are very seldomly kept in captivity. Um, I've never seen one in person. So if, if anyone who's watching this wants to know about it, it's the Palawan, P-A-L-A-W-A-N, forest turtle. It's a very cryptic animal, kind of crepuscular, if not nocturnal. Um, only occurs on this one island in the Philippines. And the total population now, they estimate, you know, between seven and 10,000 total animals. But they only exist in a few handful of collections. They have rarely been exported. And there's a few in Europe, I think, a few in Asia, and a couple in the U.S. James, but, is, is there any uh, hesitance on the part of turtle experts to be weary of their um, estimates as far as how many animals are in the wild? I, I think, I, I don't know of another example, and tell me if I'm wrong, where more than what was thought to exist of a species was was confiscated at a single time. That's, and, yeah, no, that's never happened before. Right, that's unprecedented. And I think, I wonder, like, if... So, with obviously we know that when animals become have um, protection uh, given to them, or if if they are uh, considered more rare, um, given uh, a, a um, label as being like critically endangered or something like that, or if there's thought to be such a small amount in existence, then that makes them more valuable to collectors, poachers dealers etc so is there hesitance um or do you have any specific examples of of uh, instances where there may be hesitance on the part of uh, the experts to to portray that message or at least how they might be sensitive to how that message gets portrayed i think always there's sensitivity in the meetings that i've been there's always you know discussions of just uplisting this animal to make it harder to get or make it you know Acknowledging that it's rarer than we realize, will that drive the black market trade? I mean, I think it varies from species to species of how much information researchers and conservationists divulge and how much we want to protect it. Because some animals, like animals in the U.S., for instance, have very strong protection and it's enforceable. It's relatively enforceable. Hi, by the way. <laughs> hey, Amanda. Hi. Just jump in. Just jump in whenever it feels right. We were Surprise! Gonna you, man, but, you know. <laughs> Whatever. If it feels right, oh. just go for it. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, as you were saying. We were just talking about um, how we really don't like girls in the turtle hobby and how late people are the worst and... <laughs> <laughs> way more fun when it was just a bunch of guys just hanging right. out. Right, yeah. I see how it is. Okay, all right. Well, that just With reassures that I'm staying. Comparing them. Time okay. to guy talk. Yeah, Nick's the guy talk. No more. No, no. Yeah, that's like totally why why I'm here. Just... Wait, Amanda, are you from are you from Boston? I am. Yes. Patriots are the worst. Uh, <laughs> Okay. 
Yeah, He's, you're I mean, right. Not much I of mean, a sports. <laughs> I mean, I don't like the sport sports stuff, but like it's obvious. No, we were just talking. We were awesome. just talking about sports earlier. That's why. Right, right. I mean, it's the city of champions. I know. You, know? you don't even have to be into sports to to like. You just can't even avoid the awesomeness. You know. So. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway <laughs> um, no we were just talking about kind of uh, I don't know basically how scientific information and conservation efforts can sometimes change collectors perception of how valuable an animal is that's I feel like that's a fair description yep. but, yeah but basically, That's an awesome point. I think that just so you know, in meetings, you know, IUCN meetings, at CITES meetings, these are all things that come up. We're, conservationists are aware that mm -hmm. it can influence the market. Right, right, absolutely. I think, I think that in places like the US, they're less hesitant to uplist something or give it more protection and even acknowledge that it's rare because it's enforceable. Where it gets tricky, mm -hmm. like countries or regions where it's very hard to enforce these reg new regulations. Because then, mm -hmm. if you put, yeah, you know, like you know, let's say some the turtle in China on, you know, sightings one, uplist it to critically endangered on the red list, it won't change much. Mm -hmm. It's not going to make. That big a difference, in my opinion. On paper, it looks good. It does make it harder to export, like you know, maybe farm raised, like uh, laundered animals. But mm -hmm. these are all things that we take into consideration, and it's not a perfect system. That's because right. at the end of the day, you have to realize that these aren't pandas, these aren't elephants, whales. They're not going to get the same level of attention as those. Right. It's, right. tricky. it's tricky, and, and what it really, you know, what we really rely on is changing culture, like making people not want to, you know, have these animals, like, for sure. Right. But that changing culture is so hard. Mm -hmm. So let me see if I'm following you here. Um, are you saying that when we, we actually publish um, data that says a turtle is rare, that will make the turtle more valuable and so we try to avoid um putting all that information out like hey this turtle is now endangered hey this turtle is now endangered i'm saying that that's that is the line of thinking mm -hmm. in certain situations but in like, right. like in the u.s that's less of a concern mm -hmm. right an issue oh for sure yeah and yeah mm -hmm. i think that it varies who you talk to. I think if you talk to most conservationists, people who work in policy, mm -hmm. they always want to uplist things because if at the very least it garners attention to that species. Right, right. But yeah. No, talk, I can see that. But I mean, you, I... If you talk to always, a lot of sorry. students and hobbyists, sometimes it's not, you know, even if they're doing, like, because it's, it's tough to differentiate a good hobbyist from someone who's more of a mm -hmm. dealer who has less, doesn't have the animal's best interest at heart. Right, absolutely. I know, like, uh, you know, just from my experience of also being kind of a, a hobbyist, as we all kind of are um, on the side, 
I, you know, I've been in all these, these groups and all these, you know, like fauna classifieds and all this stuff. And some of the taglines for animals is like, Hey, they're going to stop importing these or, Hey, they just got listed or, Hey, you know, these guys get them while you can, because you know, they're, they're endangered now or they're, you know, the imports are going to stop. It's going to get harder to get these. And that oftentimes is, is a push to sell animals. And so that's actually a really good point to, to think like, is it worth it to, to publicize the fact that these animals are declining, you know, because they might be afforded more protection versus it might actually make them more uh, sought after. Is that, is that what we're saying here? That's exactly what we're saying. And mm -hmm. unfortunately at this time, there's no perfect solution and you have to judge, you know, on a case by case basis, but mm -hmm. Bringing it back to the uh, Palawan forest turtle, this is an animal that very little is known about it. To my knowledge, it's never been bred in captivity. People, mm -hmm. at least have no one has come out and said they have. Mm -hmm. And it has been hatched in captivity. They have gotten eggs from wild females that have hatched, but mm -hmm. never been bred. And I think in that sort of situation, it's very, it would be very devastating mm -hmm. to the entire population to say it's really rare and that you should, you know, you should get them while you can and mm -hmm. provide it, you know, and because it's such a small population, you could wipe one trader almost did wipe out the whole thing because mm -hmm. they're hard to get, and that's why they wanted them. That's what mm -hmm. caused these people to. And I don't know if I said this earlier, but the people who wanted them, they were not from the Philippines. They're the mm -hmm. people from China who had basically set up this network throughout uh, the Philippines to collect everything, like pangolins, turtles, and I think some other primates. But mm -hmm. oh my gosh, yeah, they, so bad. Yeah, they interesting the 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 kind of the the juxtaposition these two ideas where like we talked about it, you have to be cautious because if you are talking about how rare an animal is in the world captivity and in the wild um, like a species like or something like the uh, Kelly's Sylvatica cane turtle from um, the Western dots yeah like that's one side where you talk about how you're kind of cautious to talk about how rare they are. But on the other hand, if you want to do conservation work or talk about how important it is to save the species, you have to get those numbers out. You have to give mm -hmm. real. Yeah, it's important in order to get the protection from the government or funding oftentimes. Absolutely. So it is a double-edged sword. Oh my gosh, it is. And um, I was just thinking about how it's so important to continue to, to instill the idea in private keepers that they can actually become a part of this. And I think, I say it time and time again, I think that the turtle people have done such a fantastic job of kind of breaking into that, hey, I have animals that I keep in my home and I actually would like to give back to conservation instead of just, you know, hoarding them for some odd reason and just collecting them like they're little China dolls. Like I actually want to help. And there's a lot of people out there um, that I've noticed, a lot of snake people, a lot of lizard people that would love to help, but I think the scientific community still feels differently about about like letting private keepers in because they they are known for, for being sloppy and for maybe not getting the data that we need and for you know we, we can't 
really control the way they're doing things so that we can replicate it and all these different things. So, I mean, it's, it's important for us to be open and honest with private keepers that have these animals. You know, well, and it would, I think I'm very much in the minority. And uh -huh. I think maybe it's just because I'm younger in the conservation world. But I think there is a, a, a role that hobbyists and keepers can play in conservation. Uh -huh. I do too. I think traditionally the, 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 the traditional dogma in the conservation world is that I think hobbyists are more driving the trade and they're part of the problem. Mm -hmm. I think that that obviously is the case in certain situations. So we need to use it to our advantage. Yeah, there's definitely cases where, you know, there's very irresponsible hobbyists, there's very unethical collectors. Mm -hmm. So that it's something that we need to address, but to vilify everyone in that group is also harmful because mm -hmm. so many conservationists started out as hobbyists, and I think that it's so easy for them to say to ignore that now because they're at they feel like they're at this different echelon of mm -hmm. conservation. But so much has been learned that I mean, zoos are in a sense glorified hobbyists. You know, so much is learned mm -hmm. about natural history or about behavior and just even reproductive yeah. by keeping mm -hmm. activity. Absolutely. And in many situations now, sadly, especially with Asian turtles and tortoises, is that captivity is kind of their last chance at survival because mm -hmm. because they have no protection. They're getting poached out like they I'll take for example there's one species of box turtle in Asia, the golden coin box turtle where they used to be like two or three decades ago. They were in all these streams in southern China, northern Vietnam. You still go out and find them. And now people say, big dealers say, oh, they're lucky if they get one wild-caught animal a year. Yeah, then they are worth uh, like, you know, that's, a car. Yeah, yeah it's, it's tens of thousands. It's crazy. Yeah, it really is. And um, yeah, like this is this is totally my idea too. Is is that I, that's why I love the turtle room so much is because we're just private keepers that decided to you know want to do something more, and it's just a great example. But um, I want to take this opportunity to plug a really awesome book that um, that I love and that I hope that every private keeper will get their hands on and read. It's called The Invisible Ark. Have you guys ever read it? I have not. Ah, oh, it's so good. It's so good, and it's basically just a just a. A book that's all about what private keepers have done and what private keepers mean and you know it uses examples like the crested gecko you know like there's every little person in the world who has a pet crested gecko is part of a private collection or a population of these animals that is that is thriving and that is there and it wouldn't be if if it weren't for private keepers you know even the kid who has a, you know this 12 year old who has a, a crested gecko in his house is still a part of this population of animals that is that is you know so protected because people are keeping them and so it's just like this big um, pro captivity book and it's just about you know what private keepers can accomplish and and it's really really good but it, it, it's one of those things that we need so bad because now more than ever private keepers especially of reptiles are, are just kind of under attack by you know, by animal rights groups and by all these, you know, different forces that say that what we're doing is wrong. Yeah, and so I feel like it's always going to exist. It's kind of like, mm -hmm. I hate to use this analogy, but I mean, in some ways, 
keeping some animals is kind of like an addiction. It's like a drug in the sense that it's like provides you a lot with a lot of joy and entertainment and like mm-hmm. it's something that a lot of people I think would not very easily give up. Yeah. So if that if that that's always going to exist. I, mm-hmm. I firmly believe that it will always exist. So it it's in everyone's interest to engage hobbyists into the world of conservation because maybe they just don't have they've never had access to it or they don't understand how mm-hmm. they can help. They they don't but they would like to. And exactly. them permanently removes them from ever helping. Mm-hmm. Right. Then they have no incentive. Like, if you're being like excluded from friends or bullied by someone in school, like, doesn't make you want to hang out with them more. No, absolutely not. And um, so that's kind of like the the biggest thing for me is I'm always telling people because people are like, how do I do what you do? I'm like, I don't even have I you know I do the turtle room thing as a volunteer and I right I'm a vet tech, but I don't do anything. I'm not a conservation biologist right now, but I yes, I do conservation on the side, but I'm not a scientist. And so I tell people all the time, you do you literally don't have to be a scientist to actually take part and be a conservationist. You know, you can there's so many things that you can do just, you know, in your own home if you're interested in this species or if you're interested in in helping somebody with this species or anything. You know, you can you can do it in your own home. And you don't have to be a scientist because all that science and all that learning takes place with those animals, you know? Yeah, so, I, think, I think that, so for some, for some examples is um, one of our founders, Maurice Rodriguez, he helps a lot of schools with some head starting programs and he shows them how, classrooms, how to take care of turtles and tortoises, or like, well, I think mostly wood turtles and box turtles. And mm-hmm. take care of them. The kids get to engage with wildlife that they may not normally see, and mm-hmm. take care of them. And then they're given back to them, you know, head started so that they can go and be part of conservation efforts. Mm-hmm. That's so fantastic. That's a good way that where the hobby actually is helping in both mm-hmm. the and the animal. Mm-hmm. And that's a absolutely. And there's other Jake. things. I know you guys. I know you guys use some of your profits to donate to causes for like the TSA, for example. That's another great way. There's, there are, there Citizen are, science. Yeah, exactly, there are ways to help out. Mm-hmm. You just need to have- The a, interest. A little initiative and, mm-hmm. a little initiative and creativity. Because mm-hmm. the one thing that I think that I fear about the hobby is that we all got engaged. I don't know about you, Amanda, but I, I think we were talking earlier we got engaged because we were outside catching turtles. We were outside yep. looking for frogs or snakes. So mm-hmm. we we gravitate towards conservation because we appreciate those spaces, the natural land, mm-hmm. and we don't want to see that the world lose that. Absolutely, mm-hmm. that's like the above all for for but everyone. I know that I see, especially going to reptile shows now, just talking to people. Reptile clubs kind of don't exist anymore because everything's online. Mm-hmm is that it's so easy now to get an animal that you want, like that you've never seen before, but like just buy it online or a reptile show. To look for it, right. Kind of like, I, I mean, my friends and I, we call it deli cup herping. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. like, oh, I've seen a, I've seen this animal and this animal and this animal. Like, I'm like, yeah, but they're all in plastic tub. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Like the, my, wild, baby. yeah, my fondest memories by far, like even though I love, all the pets that I've had or experiences mm-hmm. that I've had, 
the ones that never leave you, the ones where you like kind of resonate with you forever are when you see it in the wild and you see mm -hmm. where it's supposed to be. Mm -hmm. I hope people realize, you know, what you can do for conservation can even be for yourself. Just go on, mm -hmm. a, go on a herping trip or an animal trip, a photography trip. Just go out to a national park or to a lake, look for turtles. Mm -hmm. Giving yourself that experience might give you perspective to, you know, help save your local watershed, mm -hmm. protect your lake, or you know, do something yes. on a small local level. Mm -hmm. It's so true. It really is. Like uh, a good example is I've kept diamondback terrapins for a while, and um, they're my favorite species to keep. I love them. They're just so charismatic. They're just so beautiful. But you know, I, I would work on nest monitoring. And so I'd see the terrapins, but they were so flighty and like, you know, you don't really get to, to experience them in, in a sense, you know, when you're just nest monitoring because you just see them lay their eggs and then they're going back to their habitat. But um, you guys all know Jordan Gray. I got to go out to Tybee Island with him this summer and actually quite literally just like completely immerse myself in, in their environment. Like we were just swimming through these amazing salt marsh channels and just catching diamondback terrapins. We were purse-seening, but I was hitting them with my feet, not hard, I wasn't kicking them. <laughs> but like, you know, they were swimming through my legs and they were, you know, it was just amazing. And it, it was probably just the most incredible experience of my life. And, and it just made me love terrapins even more, of course, but it also made me think like, I wish that we could get some regular people out here doing this. Like, and we actually did have a couple of people um, with us who were not turtle people. They were just friends of Jordan's and they had like a little boat They were coming with us and they were just loving it They were like, oh look at the turtles and they were like telling us you should actually you should make this a thing where people can pay to come out and do this because it's un it's just amazing and, and it's and they were so you know into it They're like, how do we donate? Can we do this every year? And it was just you know just as simple as finding turtles in a, in a salt marsh, but it just made you feel like you were actually a part of, of nature, which is so so hard for humans to do because we are often so so much of a disruptance. You know, you walk through the woods and everything hides. But in this case, we were just swimming along and you'd feel like a shark or a stingray bump you and it was just amazing. So that's just one of the many examples of, of uh, an opportunity that I've had to, to go out in the wild. And not only does it reinstate my love for turtles, but it also can very well draw people who don't know anything about turtles into saving them and keeping these wild places uh, so they can just go visit them, you know? Yeah, no, totally. And that's a great example. Ecotourism. Two, two, <laughs> things, that I, two things that come from that is what percentage of the time did Jordan have his shirt on? None. Zero. zero. He had booty <laughs> shorts on. Booty shorts. That's what I thought about shorts. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I feel like all turtle biologists I know, I feel like he is the least clothed the most amount of time. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah. He's like our, our resident, just, I don't even know, crazy person. Yeah, he's like a, <laughs> a wild boy, like, like yeah. jackass. Or <laughs> that crazy cousin that's always gonna have the lampshade on his head at the Christmas party. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Um, and the second thing is, I'm gonna plug one of our projects, is the Terrapin Nesting Project. So anyone in kind of the New Jersey, New York, Pennsylvania area, or even further if you want, we have a fun project where you can do exactly that. You can, if mm -hmm. you've never experienced it before, it's the perfect introductory 
way to experience turtles in the wild. Mm -hmm. uh, basically, there's this beachfront in Long Beach Island. You can go to terrapinnestingproject.com or search for terrapin nesting on uh, the Turtle Conservancy website. Mm -hmm. And it's basically this pretty wealthy island. So people have basically developed all the beaches into these million dollar homes. And there's, so there's very little beach access left for turtles. So this organization that we partnered with takes the eggs, hatches them in hatcheries, and offers people the chance to release baby terrapins back into the uh, Barnegat Bay. And very, like a nothing fee, like $20 or something like that to do this, and helps provide this, you know, there's, it's not for profit at all. These Almost everyone works completely volunteer-based. All the money goes into outreach, uh, T-shirts for people who volunteer and supplies, mm -hmm. um, and you can go and it's just an amazing experience to see the habitat, to see how turtles are actually improving the wetlands there. Like the seagrass beds are coming back, certain fish like seahorses and stuff that rely on that are bouncing back because they're getting rid of all these, you know, crabs and clams and stuff that otherwise can kind of. Uh, take over. They're mm -hmm. important, absolutely. Projects like that, if you ever get the mm -hmm. chance, or if you're ever in Georgia, you want to see the Georgia Sea Turtle Center. Mm -hmm. uh, there's the Marathon Turtle Hospital down in the Keys in Florida. Mm -hmm. There's so many different opportunities, I think, that people can at least engage on a personal mm -hmm. level with wildlife in nature. And absolutely. This, uh, I know that Jordan and uh, I think they do. They always do some turtle surveys in some of the rivers out there. Mm -hmm. And so there's, if you look it up, you can find something that I think will interest you. And absolutely, as fun as turtles are in, in, in the backyards, it's just different. It's just. Mm -hmm. It uh, is, yeah. Who's your friend? Oh, Ollie and Bryn, my two spoiled brats, they're like, why is mom not paying attention to us? Because I usually give them like 30 minutes of me crying and like like dressing them up in sweaters and like, you know, just pulling on them and be like, I love you so much every day after work, but that's going to have to be delayed. Um, Instagram stories need to be made. I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. No, what I was going to say, just kind of a good point to, to like end that conversation on, because I have a good question for you, James, mm -hmm. um, is that I worked on a whale watch boat. I was like a whale watch or a whale. Like I worked with humpback whale research for like a year, and I would go on whale watches every day, and you'd have people coming out to the ocean. And I swear, like 90% of those people after experiencing whales out in the wild would be like, how do I donate to whales? How do I save the whales? Like how do I do this? Because they were just so moved by seeing the whales and just by like that experience of being out on the ocean and like really just seeing them with their own eyes, doing what they do and feeding and breaching and, and, and everything. And so like the wild is just, if you, if we can get more people to do the ecotourism stuff, which as many people know now, when you turn something, you know, a, a poor community into a place where people can go and pay money to stay there and look at animals, that's going to give the community more money that they might be getting from poaching and from, you know, animal trafficking of any sort. And, um, you know, it's, it's just been a great conservation tool, a great co conservation success story a million times over. So many places have been turned from poaching communities to ecotourism communities. So 
moral of the story is just like support ecotourism. Yeah, I basically. think part of the problem is that at least in the states, I'm probably t completely making this number up. But I think it's like 90% of the population is within urban city centers and surrounding suburbs. Mm -hmm. People aren't always going to be exposed to it. Like maybe some mm -hmm. of them to grow up like I was fortunate to grow up right next to the Redwood Forest so I would have mm -hmm. but I would urge everyone to just your next friend trip go camping or go like whale watching do something mm -hmm. if for nothing else I guarantee you it'll double the number of likes you'll get on Facebook or Instagram mm -hmm. and, well I have living proof people yeah exactly <laughs> I mean, so are you if I have to see another photo of someone at like a restaurant and just see like the photo of their food or photo of like in their own bathroom mirror, come on, yeah, in their bathroom know, mirror, yeah. like, at a pool, I guess, like yeah, right? I, don't, I don't need to see that, but absolutely, like, seeing nature or seeing people like genuinely mm -hmm. happy, and, mm -hmm. it's always nice, it's amazing, it really is. Um, so I don't know if you guys have covered this at all because I came in late, um, but I was wondering, uh, first of all, the Turtle Conservancy is amazing, obviously, um, but one of the things that I love you guys so much, what? Your money to TSA, what's that about? <laughs> well, they gave us pictures. <laughs> anyway. Oh, please, you guys need pictures? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, really. Next time we can collaborate. Yeah. Let's keep not, not even kidding. I, I, I'm, I'm putting this on the record. I love the TSA. Some of the some of the people who got me started down this career path are part of the TSA, and I'm always in support. But a uh, little little hurt. Well, if it makes you feel any better, I did plug the Turtle Conservancy quite a bit for Giving Tuesday. So I got your back. I got your back. Um, anyway, what was I going to say? We, we don't, we don't like to play favorites. Yeah, there you go. So we'll, we'll collaborate. We should, we actually should. Right. Um, we've anyway. been talking about several projects, right? So I'll, I'll take a Spangler eye as to make up for it. <laughs> I'm first yeah. on the Spangler eye list. Just saying. <clears throat> um, anyway, J well, James actually, just jumped, James just jumped in front. I'm sorry. Continue. Well, here, here's my argument against this is that you guys have like slash on your side. Are you kidding me? Slash. Right. Yeah, um, yeah. Who else is in those videos? What's his name? Uh, the guy with the weird, like he talks like. Yeah, walk, yes, yeah, yes, yeah. yeah. And like all these. Rosario Dawson. We just shot. The, the Lonely Island, freaking what's yeah, You guys name? have the famous people. Oh, the Lonely Island one was that, that's, I was most proud of that, because I. Right. Hey, we had an animal in that one too. Great story about, we'll, we'll get into this. Even please, please. Not conservation related. So. Sure it is. Randomly, just through, uh, I was watching a Warriors game with my family, mm -hmm. and their friend was there, and it, of course my cousins, they always like to make fun of me. They're like, ask, ask James what he does for a living, because they want me to say that I work, I'm a turtle conservationist, basically, because mm -hmm. they just get a, uh, they get a kick out of that. So I tell this guy. We all get it. We all get it. I, friend, I, I work with turtles. I have mm -hmm. turtles. And usually what I expect people to say is like, oh, have you seen the zombie kid? I like turtles. Seriously. Uh, that's what I always he, expect. Like, where is he now? We could really use his help in an ad or something, right? He did right here. Okay, so I ex always just expect something like, that's cute, or zombie mm -hmm. 
But he goes, oh, you like tortoise? He's like, I'm working on a movie right now with a, a tortoise. I was like, oh, that's cool. And he shows me a photo, and it's Andy Samberg with a California desert tortoise. And I'm like, you're working on the Lonely Island movie? And he's like, yeah. I was like, we need to talk. Like, we need to, I'm like, mm-hmm. there's some... Oh, my God. Where we can, like, help each other out. And so we basically said, hey, if if Andy actually likes turtles, like, let's figure out a way he can do a PSA for us. And then <gasps> we'll give him some PR on our social media. So and, that was all you? And they're like, yeah, let's do it. And I said, all right, sweet. And That's awesome. They, when they were doing their media at uh, their interviews in New York, they set us up in the – a suite at the Mandarin Hotel, and they're like, we'll come in here, and I was like, at first I was like, are they doing this just because it looks good, or are they doing this because they actually like turtles? And it turns out Andy Sandberg freaking really likes turtles. Oh my god, I love him even more now! And if you can get any more If you guys haven't seen it, if, Steve, if you can look up our billboard, uh, it's the, yeah, Lonely Island billboard, it's just Andy Samberg on this like crazy, crazy '80s graphic, and it just says "Turtles are dope." Yeah. Yes, it's so amazing. Great. But what ended up happening was we filmed the PSA, which everyone should go watch. It's on YouTube. It's amazing, hilarious. And it's hilarious. My friend Chris and I, we wrote a script. They wrote, they, they actually read it. They're like, "Yeah, we like it." We, they read it. And you guys wrote that script. Probably the shining point in my. Uh, you think? in my filmmaking career and they were amazing and they oh do the entire time we were shooting they were like so when are we gonna see the turtles when are we gonna see the turtles and they were snapchatting it and then oh my god so chris uh Leone, part of the turtle room they were a lot of them were his animals mm-hmm. and then i just asked andy i was like i gotta like ask you like why did you throw put like make your best friend in this movie a tortoise and yeah, that's the billboard right there. And, oh, I love it. It's so good. And it was at this major tourist attraction at the in New York City called the High Line. And so great. why did you make your best friend a tourist? And Andy just goes, well, Yorma, who's hel- um, helping write it, he was basically he's like, well, it's one of the few animals that he actually feels comfortable with. I was like, why do you feel comfortable with a tortoise? And he was like, well, actually, he's like, I think it's because my first pet ever was a turtle. It was a box turtle from oh my God. a pet store in uh, Berkeley that's famous for reptiles in the Bay Area. It's like the place to go and a better, cooler animals than any zoo in uh, Northern California called the East Bay Vivarium. And I used mm-hmm. to go there. I used to beg my parents to drive me like the 50 minutes to go there. Uh-huh. And that's amazing. I was like, oh, you got your first pet turtle from the East Bay Vivarium? I used to go there all the time. And he's like, yeah, and I named it Squirt because the first time I picked it up, is that I really liked it, and it just peed all over me. <laughs> uh, oh my god! Pick up that footage somewhere on that interview. I'll, I'll, I'll try oh. to up online sometime for you guys. Uh, but, no, but it turns out Andy Sepper really, really actually likes turtles, tortoises, and then the rest of the little family, they actually uh, also like like turtles, tortoises. They, I mean, I think they're they might be more dog people, but mm-hmm. they they all. Oh my god! They, they appreciate them enough to put them in a movie, so. Right? Oh, that's amazing. I love that story. I'm so glad I like brought that up. I didn't know you were behind that. That's yeah. That was like because I saw that and I was like, yes. Oh my god. 
Like, it was just a dream come true. I thought I was actually dreaming. I was like, well, I dreamed that, so I'm going to wake up tomorrow really disappointed, but okay. I mean, but then it just was, like, still on the internet the next day. Yeah. And, and the, whole team, the whole team couldn't be, like, more pleasant. Everyone was super nice. I mean, they're crazy. And they just kind of squeezed us in last minute because they were doing all these other interviews for, like, right, right. actual, like, things like the Today Show or Jimmy. Mm -hmm. and, and, like, they're like, yeah, just we'll try to give you this 40-minute time slot so we can do it. And they ended up because the, the animals, but yeah, oh my God. we're always surprised. I think people think that we pay celebrities to do these because they're like, how did they get this person? Like, like what? Right. That was going to be my question is like, how did you get them? And also have you noticed like support and donations and stuff like becoming more when you put these celebrity PSAs out? I think what's amazing is, our founder, Eric, obviously he has, he's very well connected because he owns hotels in New York mm -hmm. and had nightclubs. So he like knows the artistic entertainment world. Right, right. But from that, so many of these other people come out of the woodwork that realize actually really do like wildlife and especially turtles and tortoises. And we've had so mm -hmm. many, like Rosario Dawson loves wildlife. We had oh my God. a girl, Juno Temple, who's from, uh, HBO show Vinyl, and she's in Woody Allen's new movie. She just did a PSA with us, and she just, she's been to the Galapagos. She loved the sea turtles and the Galapagos giant tortoises, mm -hmm. and she about how much she actually cares about the environment. Mm -hmm. um, well, like, uh, we did Fomka Jensen, who plays uh, the Phoenix in the X-Men movies, mm -hmm. and she cares so much about the environment, and just like, I mean, yes, animal rights, but also she just cares about the well-being oh, like, and just like letting animals be able to live their lives like mm -hmm. unencumbered by like human animals, basically. Mm -hmm. And right. their passion is real, and it's really reflecting mm -hmm. that in people that otherwise may not you know, don't have a reason yeah. to care about anyone but themselves. And That's so awesome. Really give money. It'd be nice if some of them gave money, but just lending their celebrity is always really beneficial. Because mm -hmm. it, it gives credibility to what we're doing. It, mm -hmm. They often engage for we have a benefit and they'll come to our benefit and it makes it a fun place to be where people who do have mm -hmm. money to, you know. They want to actually come, come, right. Exactly. It, it, brings in people who will spend a lot of money and donate mm -hmm. different conservation causes. And then right. the, the other thing it does is it just elevates turtle status. We were talking earlier about a lot of the problem is even if you enact, you know, create new laws or give extra protection to turtles and tortoises, they're kind of forgotten. They're not whales. They're not pandas. So they don't get that much. Mm -hmm. And by doing this, we're hoping that it, kind of it makes it cool. It raises it turtles, turtles right. variety so that they can kind of get, maybe not quite a level of pandas, but near that. I feel like sea turtles yeah. pretty well. People love sea turtles, mm -hmm. but freshwater turtles and tortoises, mm -hmm. so, you know, not as clear. Just mm -hmm. Not as sexy. Yeah, yeah, people. Exactly. Over there. Mm -hmm. I'm always get saying, like, you got to just make it a trend, you know? Yeah. Dan, can I ask? I wanted to ask a question. Um, obviously, we, the Turtle Conservancy really is um, 
so ahead of the game when it comes to uh, their image and the way that they're able to get support. And um, you guys, I, I just imagine you guys are so like obsessed and, and detailed when it comes to figuring out what your message is and what you put out there, how you put yourselves out there, how you portray yourselves in front of the public. Um, and I know that you are someone, like a lot of us, who kind of grew up on the forums and on the classified and watching the, the price list come out and all that type of stuff, um, kind of knowing what was going on in the hobby. And something that I'm kind of, I've kind of become obsessed with is the way that the classifieds kind of paint this picture of who we are as turtle people or as reptile people, because the people who are, are most out there are normally the ones that are kind of, you know, trying to make a quick buck. They're dealers, they're flipping animals. Um, they're saying things like Amanda said, where, you know, these aren't going to be available anymore. So get them while they're hot sort of thing and treating mm -hmm. them like they're, you know, blouses at dress barn or something, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So, Again, another kind of interesting. Well, I think uh, that's what you guys are kind of fitting in. That's where I really admire what you guys are doing. You guys are trying to separate yourselves from the muck. Like, you know, like basically, you guys are trying to rise above all that. And I think that's what we started as. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what we wanted to do. And putting, honestly, doing this and making yourselves kind of public personalities helps a lot with transparency. Because I think what's really easy on these forums and stuff and the classifieds is you don't really know who you're dealing with. And people come and go all the time. There's some people who just want to like get into this hobby for six months. They think they can make money selling animals or something and they get out mm -hmm. of it. But you guys have kind of established, you guys have a track record. We know who you are. We know what species you're working with. You guys are very clear as like how you guys are trying to give back or how to grow the community. And I, in the right way, you know, with through education, like making sure people don't use these as disposable pets. And that's what I think yeah, I would like to see the hobby become more of. But mm -hmm. obviously, there's always going to, as long as there's uh, ways to exploit the system, people are going to take advantage of it. Mm -hmm. but I that you guys are the first people that I've seen that really kind of like started it and stuck with it. Especially what's really unique is that you guys did it as a team. I've never seen that before, where you guys actually come together as a team. Uh, you see maybe one person start their own website, and but that's kind of like how like Turtle Forum grew out of that. But, or like back in the day, like Turtle Times, there's always be like one person who'd like try to, you know, engage people. But mm -hmm. I really like what you guys are doing in branding the Turtle Room and using all platforms like I mean I don't know how you must never sleep because the social media that you guys do is insane and it's really well done because you guys and Chris do Chris and his wife actually no I take it back they're the biggest social media whores they are awesome yeah I know I get most of my pictures from him I mean I'll say <laughs> his face but he's amazing they are insane and what's so mm -hmm. funny I Chris and I laugh about this is that I don't get what viewers, if you guys like want to write in the comments why you guys like these shots so much, is just turtles in someone's hand. Mm -hmm. I will never understand. I, Chris has some beautiful, beautiful shots of turtles like coming out of ponds or like, mm -hmm. and then you just see Chris's hands full of turtles and 
people love that. I know they do. <laughs> it's usually because it's like babies hatching. I think and they're they like, oh, babies. I feel like Chris and um, his wife, they have some amazing, like really natural setups. Mm -hmm. They do. It's amazing. Part of our goals. Really good photos that are really even. I mean, they're the composition's really nice. Mm -hmm. I would that I prefer, but the turtles in the hands, they just really do it for people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. This one was, this picture here was taken, on the front of our calendar, was taken by Casey, mm -hmm. uh, Chris's wife. It's amazing. Uh, there's also several other Chris and Casey pictures in here, too. Mm -hmm. So get your calendar if you haven't yet, folks. Lots of cool pictures. Oh, yeah, it's amazing. I know, their, their place is literally goals. It's just I haven't even been there, but just the pictures of like all their setups, and they just got a new facility too. Is it true that he's gonna name his son Testudo? Better. Should. <laughs> you better or Herman? It's actually a girl. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Japonica. Yeah, that's pretty. <laughs> it would probably be a very Italian name. Emmy. What about Emmy? I think they Emmy? had an idea of what they were gonna name it, but I can't remember what it. But anyway. They're gonna name it Cecilia. That's right. Um, so the other thing that you, um, that you kind of mentioned, which is, we have a good shot at another plug for something we're working on now too, is <gasps> Japonica. Japonica. Oh. <laughs> and Anthony's grabbing a Japonica. Um, the Sorry. other thing we, we wanted to plug tonight because we think it's going to release, uh, sometime later this month. In fact, that's the plan. Um, and it kind of connects into this conversation about, um, hobbyists, um, kind of working together and also, um, kind of doing things in a more, I don't know, thoughtful, purposeful manner is um, we're going to be launching an application called Digital Colonian Log, which uh, we've, been, we've been working on for some time. Um, <clears throat> the idea behind this is that um, it'll be a place where you can store growth data, incubation data, uh, among is, among other is, things, you guys know the the herping site NAFA. Yes, so it's very similar to that, where it's citizen-based science, where you can basically. And then, are you guys going to be able to control it, or is it everything is going to be public? Um, they're going to be able. To, okay, so <clears throat> here's um, so um, this uh will be um for more husbandry data than you know wild animal data is part of this idea and so um users can choose to um the free accounts can uh track data for up to 25 animals um and then you can the user will be able to mark them as either public or pro, uh, or not um public ones will be able to see be seen by everybody the ones that aren't marked public will only be able to be seen by um the user themselves however part of our terms of service will be the turtle room will be able to use all the data publicly or pass it along to researchers etc um but this the um not necessarily every user will be able to see the turtle if it's not marked public um, there will also be a premium version uh, where there'll be um, some extra data charting features added that pre uh, basic users won't have access to. And then the premium version um, will remove any limits on the number of specimens that can be housed in the database as well. Um, so the idea is to track husbandry data, growth, uh, feeding, uh, events, uh, clutches excuse me and their incubation data and you know as we were um, talking about this project with 
um, researchers and conservationists at the TSA conference, um, uh, one of them actually mentioned how, um, you know, in the hobby we know of dozens of species which are temperature, sex uh, determinant. However, to science, there's only a handful that have actually been proven because the data is there. But as the mm -hmm. hobby, we've got all this observation. Oh, we know it works, but we don't really write down what's going on. Well, so now you've got a place to, to put that. We're going to give you a place to put that information. And if animals get tracked until they're sexable, we, with good incubation data and the animal being tracked until it's sexable. What you need to do is sell on the turtle room store. Little, I was going to say, pr free PhD, free PhD. Yeah, you, know, you just need to sell little data loggers like iButtons or something, temperature readers that can, oh, yeah. can log it. And then if they can upload uh, like the little a PDF of the temperature data for the entire incubation, then, then that's publishable. Because right now, the only issue that I could see is someone could say, how can you prove that that... Right. But... I mean, the, the concept, the, this is what I'm saying. It's like, this is where hobbyists can actually right. make, mm -hmm. add so much valuable data because they're, you know, a lot of science is sample size and not every zoo has, especially mm -hmm. with something like Monica, right. of the mm -hmm. See, we have, you know, we have eight adults, but that's very rare. Oh, gosh, yeah. 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 So yeah. So here's where you know we're going to start with the first edition, and obviously we're going to keep adding uh, improvements to the software as it goes. Um, so we're trying to get a version, the first version, launched here by the end of this month. That'd be amazing. That's yeah. awesome. I love it. Um, so it's a good way just to see what's going on in the hobby of like mm -hmm. what animals people mostly are keeping, what animals people are having difficulty with, what animals people are rare animals people are are hatching or. Mm -hmm. Right, and we're hopeful people will make their turtles public, um, so that other people can kind of see their data and see what's going on. Um, mm -hmm. Nobody's names will be attached to the to the animals. By the way, in the public, uh, a random ID number that's assigned to each user will be what the public sees. That way, it's still um, uh, people can still feel like they're maintaining their privacy at the same mm -hmm. time. Well, we actually have. Good luck finding someone that will sort through all of our data. We have years of data that we just have never gone through. But uh, this is very similar to what zoo institutions like uh, the Trill Conservancy, we're probably the only AZA accredited zoo out there that focuses just, just on turtles and tortoises, so zoos mm -hmm. and aquariums. Right. And we have this very expensive software called Zims that yeah. log and mm -hmm. say the license is incredibly expensive, like tens of dollars. Oh, I know it is. We've looked into it. And, but it doesn't do everything that you want because it's meant for mammalian collection, right. bird. What we're hoping to do eventually is actually build a kind of a, uh, and make an organization version where an organization can have several users that can access all the animals and maybe do some stuff with this. So, yeah, that's, that's on, awesome. all, you know. Make it so that you can upload pictures of the animals. And oh, it, that's so. that's going to be included. Um, one of the things that's, again, between basic and premium is how many pictures you can upload. But, yeah, a picture uploads of the animals will be included too. Yeah. And make them so, so directly bird's eye view of the carapace and directly bird's eye view of the plastron. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. For ID, yeah, like photo ID. Right, yeah, that will be included. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. awesome. That's it really is. Just so have there, one place for all your stuff. Right. So there's a shameless plug. We're trying to launch this by the end of December. 
Um, it's, so it's going to be called Digital Colonian Log. You can go to digitalcolonianlog.com. It will you know, forward you to the, pro, to the address that will actually be used. Um, if you can see it on here, the address for the site it directly is dcl.theturtleroom.com. Um, but again, digitalcolonianlog.com will forward you right here as well. And while, while you're uh, sharing your screen, uh, you oh, I can put it back up. I was going to say, if you search for uh, the Japonica movie by the Turtle Conservancy. Oh, yeah. I love and that movie. It's one of my favorites. You it? What? Of course. I, well, I, I, used, I use a lot of information from that in my but book because it's some of the best information out there. For people who don't know, uh, it's this really rare species of leaf. It's one of the few animals. This one? Yeah, exactly. That's the trailer, but that full movie should be Dude. up. Dude! Oh my god, I want to see it. It's amazing. The full movie is about 20 minutes long. Yeah, and what people don't really... This is one of the most beautiful animals in the world. It's like crazy streaks of red and yellow. Mm -hmm. and it is and so beautiful. They look like they're almost on fire, some of them. But they're only found on yeah. one tiny, tiny island in Japan that could be wiped out by like tsunami easily. But because they're so beautiful, they're actually one of the few animals that's been de designated, I think, like a national treasure by Japan. So yeah. all export, like any, like, handling without is, handling without permits is totally illegal. Wow. Um, and, but yeah, they're beautiful animals. And did like, you make the movie? I did not make this. is This is a little bit before my time. What? Oh my gosh, I can't wait to see it. Is it from 2009 awesome. off the top of my head? I feel like it's, yeah. No. It, it's right there. I think it was filmed in like 2008, but it came out in 2009. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's awesome. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's very much a turtle nerd type movie. But oh, like, hell yeah. No, we need more, more turtle movies. And all of, our, all of our movies, all of our PSAs, if you go to our, uh, turtleconservancy.org, and I think there's like a media button, you can see basically all of them in one place. And There's a lot of movies. There's more yeah, than one. Yeah, you go to yeah turtleconservancy.org. <gasps> nice. Why haven't I found There's this? There's movies now? about a trip from through South Africa, the highest. Uh, oh, that's Juno Temple. That's the that's the girl we just. Nice. Uh, we'll skip over to the normal homepage. Yeah, sorry about that. That's <laughs> all right. Good um, awareness. <laughs> There's a very good uh, video as well uh, where they go looking for the flat-tailed tortoise, Pixis clanicata, which is a really, really, it's a really cool video. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. Keep going down. So there's... Um, see all. See all. Yeah. So then if you guys, if you keep going down, there's a bunch of... Uh, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I love it. I love it. The, the first ones are a little depressing because it's uh it's turtles so they're gonna be depressing. Animal, it's about the animal trade but then the other ones these are more just in the field going on the adventure of trying to find these animals in the field and learn about how they live That's that so one cool. if, you like, if you like tortoises the great tortoise transect is amazing because south africa namibia has the highest density of different species of tortoises in the mm -hmm. world oh that's so cool and, and species that Few people have seen because there are species that are really delicate that don't do well in captivity. So, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. yeah, but there's one Argentine tortoises, the Chaco tortoise. There's one, mm -hmm. and yeah, I recommend people who are interested you know, take a look. 
Absolutely. A little drier than others, but. I know what I'm doing tonight. Awesome. <laughs> and then that's, that one, last video is just kind of an origin story of how we came to be. That's awesome. It's so cool. Yeah, it's, it's obvious that, you know, like I said, you, you guys put so much effort into planning what your image is going to be. Mm -hmm. It's really yeah. refreshing to see. A lot of that vision is from Eric Good, and I really commend him for it. I mean, he's a he's awesome. He's amazing. Really inspirational person. He's someone mm -hmm. who is given millions of dollars of his own money to turtles and tortoises. Yeah. And he could probably be making a lot more money right now, but his focus is ninety-five percent of his time on turtles and tortoises. Oh, so, that's amazing. I have the chills so bad. It's just his yeah. life's purpose. Yeah, it's yeah. amazing. He comes from the art world, so and he knows how powerful media, media and mm -hmm. art and aesthetics can be, and how mm -hmm. you know to engage people and inspire. Be, and mm -hmm. you have to give them a, a, a product that they want to be a part of, and they want to engage in. Because right. if it's not something, there's so many other alternatives they could be gravitating towards, whether it's video games or even Music. like yeah, like. Mm -hmm. People want to be a part of something interesting and cool and informative and feel like they're making a difference. And so it's just something we are very aware of. Um, the other thing that I would like to say about our organization is I think what separates us from a lot of other turtle and tortoise organizations is that besides having the zoo and the conservation center and doing kind of media outreach, our big organizational mission is protecting habitat for turtles and tortoises mm -hmm. there's a lot of organizations like the TSA does great work with you know smaller research grants or smaller uh, head starting programs in range and we're a pretty small organization and we didn't want to feel like we're competing with them or do the same thing as them right and we saw better to really better to collaborate and mm -hmm. exactly. build different and and also that you know you want to attack the problem from all angles. So if mm -hmm. they're working on that side, on the ground, boots on the ground, and what we realize what we could do really well is raise money to buy habitat for the most crucial needs within the turtle mm -hmm. tortoise world. Animals that really won't have a chance of survival without protecting land. So, for example, mm -hmm. in South Africa, the geometric tortoise is down to probably about a thousand animals left, and their current stronghold is devastated by fires and development. And we identified this basically thousand-acre area that had the highest density of this tortoise anywhere in the world, and is threatened by a lot of vineyards are being developed there, and then a highway just goes right through it. Mm -hmm. So we just were like we have to buy this land and that's kind of what out of this kind of grew a really strong mission of habitat preservation is the best thing that we, we as an organization can do for human forces around the world. And so people it's who awesome. you know, seeing what we do or what want if people are interested enough in donating or volunteering, that's really where all the donations go and 100% of the donations basically go into 
protecting land and managing that land. Mm-hmm. That's, and it's, it's crazy because I've gotten, the, I've been really fortunate to travel a lot this past year and visit our land in Mexico and our land in South Africa. And you see the animals where they're supposed to be, that's when you realize, oh man, might have saved the species from extinction. Otherwise, you're like, that is worth like a thousand eggs hatching. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. In your hand, Chris yeah. Leone. <laughs> exactly. It's Absolutely. Where, like, without that, I think people don't realize how easy it is for these animals to kind of disappear. Mm-hmm. So, and, and there's always, I mean, but at the same time. There's value yeah. in everything we do. Yeah. Exactly. You need mm-hmm. to attack problem from all sides and mm-hmm. this is just one of those crucial absolutely mm-hmm. absolutely it's, it's great that we can continue to you know hold on to these wild places for as long as we as we can you know because they're just just so fleeting and so that's really the only way and um a great thing about purchasing that land is that when you protect the turtles in that land you're protecting literally everything else because the turtles yeah, need everything else you know so it's all just i've been Today I slacked, but normally we post something on our social media for like more than Turtles Monday. Mm-hmm. And on our land in Mexico, we're protecting jaguars and That's endangered awesome. military, endangered so military paws, beaded lizards, all That's these. Right. Uh, oh. And then That's in so South awesome. Africa, we're protecting uh, an endangered species of bird called the black harrier. And, yeah. and then a botanist found this endangered species of plant that there was only. So, there's only seven of these plants left in the world, I think. And they found 50 on our property. Oh my well, God, that's amazing. So it's just like that, all, the, all these little victories and then engaging the ah. local community. Like our neighbors in South Africa have been so helpful in wanting to like, oh, like we don't want to sell our, our farm, but we won't develop it. You can fence it in so it protects the turtles from the highway. Yeah. Oh, and you guys awesome. have people actually do, people, how much, it's nice to just see the kindness in people in local yeah, communities. Yeah, when you just make them a part of it. Exactly. When you right. include people and you show them why things are important to you. Mm-hmm. And make them feel important. Yeah, it may not be their highest priority, but then they want, when they see how special it is to other people or, or maybe they remember how special it was to them growing up, they mm-hmm. want to help. Oh, my gosh. That's amazing. That's so amazing. So great. So really I think... Is. James, something you said, and, and you, you spoke about packing something from all angles. One thing that Steve and I, when we would have conversations before the Turtle Room existed, we, we spoke about how, you know, we wanted to do more, and, you know, we were these college-educated guys who felt like we were smart enough, and we had more than enough passion to do something, but we kind of felt hunkered down by the fact that, like, well, our degrees weren't in biology or duology or whatever. And, and how could we get involved? How could we do something that wasn't doing, being done before? And we're still figuring that out on like a daily basis and talking through it and coming up with, with creative ways to get involved. But, but the point is that you don't have to be rich. You don't have to be in a certain field. You don't have to be from a certain background. If you are passionate about it and it matters to you, then there's more than mm-hmm. enough able for all to be involved in a mm-hmm. way. And we all bring something unique to the table Mm-hmm. Um, you spoke about Eric's 
art background and that was something that spoke to me because my degree is in art and it's something that i always say i joke all the time i'll say well my degree is in art and i say don't tell anyone because yeah. i don't want people to, like judge me yeah. uh, just a joke but like it, it's that's a perfect example of how his unique experience has helped to turn the turtle conservancy into such an amazing organization if you get a room and it's just turtle biologists right it's too insular thinking. Everyone thinks the same. There's no diversity. Yep. I mean, Amanda, I'm sure you feel you get this all the time. Like, there's like hardly ever like women or minorities. Oftentimes, mm -hmm. should, mm -hmm. oh my uh, gosh, yeah, all um, the time. Only good things can help by having a more diverse. Oh yeah. Especially if you have other interests to bring into it. Like I, I like writing, for example, and I have like a lot of writing experience, so I can put that into writing about journals. And you know, just the different things that you have, like it's it's like I always think of it as like building your zombie apocalypse team. Like you need your doctor, you need your like your farmers, and like all these people that have weird skills. It's gonna come into play. Yeah. Instead of zombie, it's just like an extinction apocalypse team. Exactly. And, yes. And everyone. I mean, anyone who's from school to business, everyone knows that you need someone who understands technology, understands how mm -hmm. to engage people, and do public speaking mm -hmm. or people who can set up a website or set up and then people who can understand finances mm -hmm. and salesmanship and there's also there's just so much that goes into making team a good team where the you know the sun is greater than its parts mm -hmm. so to speak and I think that sometimes gets lost because there is, in the hobby and in the conservation world, there is a level of competition. There the is, elitism. There, yeah, there, is, there are a lot of egos involved. In mm -hmm. Everyone wants to feel like they're the most important. But mm -hmm. I mean, I think people who played team sports understand this is that sure, there might be people who are the star player or the star, but you still need the rest of the team. No one's going to be able to do this all by themselves. And as long as you want, you know, anyone who wants to be a part of the team should be included mm -hmm. because there's so many, I've had people who like turtles and they're photographers or something. They're like, I don't know anything about, it. I'm like, come to our PSA set, right? These people so we can use it for our social media because I'm, mm -hmm. I'm like helping direct or I'm filming. And so I can't do mm -hmm. it. There's people who I know. We have this one guy, uh, I'll give a shout out to our volunteer, Anthony, who works in, I think, ad sales, online ad sales kind of uh, industry. And he helps set up our Google AdWords account, because Google gives nonprofits like some free advertising. Mm -hmm. And so set up that whole account and so that we can reach other people. There's always a place for everyone. People shouldn't feel mm -hmm. like in the background they don't fit in um, mm -hmm. yeah I, I would echo your sentiment mm -hmm. you guys have a good team I feel like you guys have a really good team we do um, thank you thank you, you do too <clears throat> yeah and actually um, at, when we were at the conference I the, Eric actually uh, had come up to me to, to say a couple of things and this was actually one of the things he complimented about was the diverse backgrounds of of our you know team at the turtle room we've got anthony with an art degree i've got music degrees and math education stuff and you guys' website and he thought you guys were like well, he liked your website more than the tsas and he was like he thought you guys were like this like 
he was like, who are these people? I've never heard of them before. Blah, blah, blah. And I was just <sighs> like, explain to him that you guys are just like a uh, group of people who had this interest and wanted to just start this thing. I think he was impressed, but I think he just like didn't believe that you guys like, he like, I don't think he believed that he was like, wait, are they getting paid for this? They're just doing this like out of like, what is their, are their, their angle? And I was like, I think they just really like turtles. <laughs> yep. That's it. <laughs> Bingo. <Pretty much. laughs> I love it. That's and, great. And yeah, I think you guys, half the battle for everything that people do is just having the initiative to just go out and do it because mm -hmm. it's so, everything, I mean, playing sports and stuff, just going to work out, like, oh my God, half the battle is just getting to the gym mm. to work out. Oh, yeah. You know, like, because if you just sit down and do nothing, it's so easy to just stay in that lane and just right. do nothing. Just forcing yourself to go, go like, you know what? We're going to go on a hike this weekend. Or, mm -hmm. you know what? We're going to release some baby turtles, do a family trip. We're going to go release some baby turtles, like, on vacation this year. Mm -hmm. Just doing that little thing, just, like, forcing yourself to do things can snowball and lead to other better things and lead to collaborations with other people. Like I wouldn't have met you guys if I didn't you know, go to TSA or if I didn't try to just reach out and try to talk to you guys. Yeah, there, exactly. There's so many good things of just kind of just going for it. So mm -hmm. watching. Definitely, definitely don't ever feel like you're in too Not small a town. Yeah. You're in too small a mm -hmm. town or too young or too new to the hobby. Too old, yeah, you know, too old. not not educated enough. Exactly, you just really don't have to be a science scientist or anything. And that's what makes me so proud of the Turtle Room is it's literally just people showing everyone else, like, hey, you know, we're not necessarily scientists. This is what we're doing, and you know, it's not. There's just there's nothing that's like saying, ah, oh, no, you can, you actually can't do that. So stop making that website right now, like. We did it because we could, and you know it took a lot of work. And yeah, Steve hasn't gotten paid for, and Anthony hasn't got paid for making this amazing website and like these calendars and like all this crazy stuff. And you know I don't get paid for the social media stuff every day, but it's just nice to feel like I'm doing something, even on the days where I don't want to even get out of bed. At least I can post a picture and know that I did something. Just you know, yeah. so it's good. It's great. No, so, exactly. Go ahead. Oh, I, one more thing, and then I'm going to actually wrap it up. So, James, go, and then uh, we're uh, hitting about an hour and a half, so we normally try to wrap oh. it up. Oh. oh, I mean, I was just, again, just echoing the same sentiment. I, I think another great way that people who are out there can really look up to you guys is, you know, now you guys are working with a lot of zoos, and you guys are in AZA stud books that where basically it manages the whole captive population mm -hmm. within North America. And you guys are helping keep up genetic diversity. You're, in Chris's case, oftentimes like the production that he gets out of his animals is really kind yeah. of leading the way to show like what, set, setting the bars, like what can be done in captivity. Yeah. Uh, and I think that that's really important that people realize that talent also can shine through. Like if you're good at what you do, if you're a really good, dedicated keeper, do things the right way, really have your animal's best interest at heart, people will take notice and want to engage mm -hmm. you. And I'm sure that's, that's a big reason why Chris has gotten some of the animals he's gotten from zoos. That's why, 
he's gotten to be in certain publications. But speak of the devil, this is uh, Eric Good, the founder of the Turtle Conservative. <gasps> Hi, Eric! Hi, Eric! Oh my gosh, it's so nice Hi, to see you. Wow, look at all those animals behind you. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, uh, Celebrity appearance. Yeah. Um, I know, I've been off this a little too late. Uh, but <laughs> no, I was just saying that if you are dedicated and committed, people will take notice and they'll engage mm -hmm. you in another, like, like, that's just a good way to be involved. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. <clears throat> Thanks for joining us tonight, everybody. Uh, I think if there's one key thing uh, to take out from tonight's uh, episode is that um, there's lots of great places to get involved. Um, if you are passionate about the habitat being protected, you can donate to the Turtle Conservancy. You can find ways to pitch in there. If you're passionate about the stuff the TSA is doing, which is a little bit different but still saving turtles, um, you can, you know, pitch in with them. Uh, we're trying to provide more opportunities for captive breeders to share information. Um, and like James mentioned, almost a lot of their money goes, you know, right to their conservation programs. Um, anytime you donate to us by calendar, by food, whatever, those proceeds go to maintaining the, the website, developing these educational resources, such as that application that um, we're, we're going to be launching and you know kind of just kind of you know backing uh, some of our captive projects uh, like James mentioned we're working with uh, the AZA and TSA and, and some others on you know maintaining genetic diversity for assurance colonies um, so you can get involved with TSA Turtle Conservancy us doesn't matter thousands of other seems like thousands doesn't it James of other little turtle organizations yeah. saving terrapins in New Jersey yeah. or in Georgia or sea turtles anywhere along uh, the coast of almost any major country. Mm -hmm. um, so lots of ways to get involved. Even if you think you're just a photographer, you can get involved. If you think you're just a writer, you can get involved. Mm -hmm. So um, I think that's our biggest encouragement tonight. Get involved if you love conservation of turtles and tortoises. Mm -hmm. Don't just watch. Don't just be a bystander. You right. can Contact us. We can help you get involved. Mm -hmm. We're good at that. We can help point you in some direction. Yeah. Same on our end. If you guys, there's volunteer opportunities. There's really creative people out there. You're always welcome to email us. Volunteer at turtleconservancy.org. Mm -hmm. And for everyone else, there's a lot. I mean, we don't have as much uh, resources on the captive side as you guys, but maybe that's something we could team up on. We have a lot of incubation protocols and husbandry protocols just in our database. But mm -hmm. that we've developed over the years. But you can go onto our website, click on the awareness thing, look at our videos, go on our YouTube page. We have some more videos. So um, yeah, I think that anyone, yeah, can take anything away from this. It's that if we can do it, you can easily mm -hmm. do it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm feeling so pumped and inspired after that. I really am. Like you guys are awesome. This has been a great one. Thank you so much, James. You've been amazing. Yeah. No, no. Thank you guys for having me. I look forward of to uh, collaboration. Let's keep working together. Yes. Uh, for yeah, James, yeah. for James, for Anthony, for Amanda, I'm Steve. Have a great night. Get involved. Yay.